I, I think it answers two questions for us. Uh, one is, where is God? You know, and I, I think that's a big question for a lot of people, you know, and that the the answer in the Beatitudes is that he's on the side of the poor, he's with those who mourn, he's with those who are bullied, marginalized, oppressed, he's with those that, that ache for justice and can't do anything about it. You know, that, that's where God is. And um, that's, um, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm pausing now because that's, that's, um, that's quite a big thing, isn't it? <laughs> The Beatitudes are perhaps the most well-known and least understood of all of Jesus' teachings. Too often we see them as an impossible list that we have to live up to in order to be blessed. But Stu G has an entirely different thought. He says that in these announcements, Jesus is saying so much more. He's speaking personally and profoundly to the deep ache that we all face when life gets broken and doesn't work out as we think it should. Stu G writes this, God is on the side of everybody for whom there's no reason why God should be on their side. Words from the Hill, An Invitation to the Unexpected, is a brilliant book, and you should go out and get it right now. This conversation is also brilliant. Enjoy. Well, I'm here with my good friend Stu G. Finally, we connect. How are you, Stu? Hey, Steve. I'm, I'm doing really well. It's so good to be with you today. Oh, my gosh. I've been looking forward to this really, really for a long time. Probably ever since we got to hang out um, around the fire that night. Yeah. Almost a year yeah, ago. Yeah, that's right. That was a year ago. Was it a year ago? Yeah. Yeah, it wow. really was. Yeah. That's kind of hard to believe. I would have said six months. But right. you're right. <laughs> you're right. It, I mean, yeah. 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 Well, uh, Firstly, Stu G, you are kind of a big deal. I mean, I'm not sure if you know that or not, but you know, you're 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 kind of a big deal. You're in a band called Delirious, and uh, for 16 years. And I remember, I was a youth pastor then, so I was playing all your stuff to my students, and I loved it. Delirious for me was like the first band that. Um, first Christian band that I heard that actually had a sound that I really liked, like I could actually listen to. <laughs> That's great. Thank um, you. But talk about, talk a little bit about some of those years and, and the beginnings of Delirious and, and, and where that took you. Yeah, they were amazing years. Um, gosh, like just so much fun. So, so heady. So um, kind of, we didn't know what we were doing. So r- right at the beginning, you know, I'd, I'd been a guitar player for a little while. I'd, I'd, you know, worked in churches and learned how to lead worship, but I also like been in rock bands and done all that kind of thing too. And and when I met Martin and Tim, uh, they had started this youth event on the south coast, and uh, so I, I went down there to visit one time, and uh, um, it was kind of like I mean I say in the book it was like a, a bit of space us being drawn into a black hole. It was kind of like you know, this, this thing that I was just drawn to and it felt like something was going to happen. You know, I didn't know what it was or, uh, you know, we had no plans to kind of, um, take over the world or anything, you know? And, um, so, uh, just started to go down there once a month and play at this youth event where the idea was, we're just going to play music that we like. And, um, and in, in this kind of raw sort of worship, environment for the kids in in our church you know and it started very small 70 
kids and stuff like that. And I think it grew, it doubled every month for like 18 months or something or two years. And, um, uh, so something was happening, you know, and there was lots of, lots of space and lots of, um, uh, not knowing what to do next, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, the songs were coming. And so songs like, did you feel the mountains tremble obsession? Um, stuff like that history makers came from that time and um and uh so something was really going on and you know from there from the back of that hall where we'd sell cassettes um and uh you know it kind of like started to leak out across the south coast of england and then gradually reaching across the country and so um by the time that we decided that we wanted to be a band um uh we got in a van and basically toured every weekend around the uk for about 18 months and then um we're invited to play wembley stadium with noel richards um, wow and, and that's what kind of like um really kind of opened the door to the the rest of the world if that makes sense yeah so um so yeah so you know like and our our thing was we we were church boys you know we played music for the church but our inspiration was uh, coming from the uk where there's not a huge christian music industry you know our inspiration were our peers at the time so people like u2 and radiohead and muse and um and 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 bands like that and so um you know that we were trying to make music as good as any of those guys so that it stood out on the high street and we had singles that went into the charts um and over the years you know that turned into touring with bon jovi and playing glassby festival and you know a bunch of stuff like that so in europe we were kind of like known for this mix of our our church stuff and our mainstream stuff which actually was the same thing like we'd go on like when we played with bon jovi we'd open up with my glorious or something you know and um and see all these rockers with their hands in the air, yeah. which was pretty fantastic, you know. And I've probably never felt more alive than in those sort of environments. And and then, you know, we'd, we'd come to America and uh, play big festivals and, and churches and events and that. And, you know, we traveled around the world for 16 years, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, it was amazing, yeah. uh, absolutely amazing. And I, I didn't really want it to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, from from the outside, we all just couldn't believe that there was a band that was writing this kind of music, and that it had such a huge effect on the worship culture. Actually, even here in the states, and you know that. Yeah. But um, but then there came a day, uh, and you write about it in the book. Uh, I think you say hot sweltering Texas day, where yeah. um, the band ended, and you yeah. were sort of left going like, "Whoa, what do I do now?" So talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, I don't think it's a secret. You know, Martin came to us and said, I, um, I think it's time for me to do something different. And so um, we, you know, that it was a bit of a shell shock moment because um, you, you, it's a bit like having a car crash. You know, you, you kind of cope in the moment and, um, and then kind of figure it out later, you know. And yeah. so um, it was like, okay, you know. So we thought about do we carry on without him and – or do we, um, you know, what, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, and then of course, you know, deciding that, um, we, we, it probably wouldn't be the, 
best thing to carry on without him. So, um, well, maybe maybe Bon yeah, Jovi could have been those... the lead singer. I mean, really, right. you know, John Bon Jovi, lead singer yeah. of Delirious. It could have happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could have done. Um, and um, so, you know, then those sort of questions just go into, oh my gosh, what on earth am I going to do? You know, is my best work behind me? You know, I, I was uh, in my early forties at the time, and um, it was kind of just hit me at that midlife thing where, you know, we had um, been touring for a long time. And I mean, that's a big, it's, it's a big, uh, it's a long career, you know, yeah. and, uh, and to have that all of a sudden go away is just leaves you in this kind of uh, space where you're just kind of tumbling, you know, and, yeah. uh, and so that's what it was like. Um, and in, in that, you know, we, we, so that happened in 2008, but, we we had three companies, you know. We had um, Furious Records, we had Fierce Distribution, that was distributing into a um, hundred or so territories territories around the world, and we were actually distributing other people's stuff too. So, um, you know, and, and we had like a year's worth of dates. So it's like you can't sort of take the key out of a of a big semi that's going seventy miles an hour and expect it to stop straight away, you know. So. Right. Um, so it was another year. So in that year, um, I started to, every time we were in America, I would stay and come to Nashville or LA or, you know, wherever and, and kind of just keep those connections going. And, um, and little by little over the, um, after Delirious finished in 2009, um, over the next sort of few months to a year, it was pretty clear that, you know, my work was going to come from America and, um, and that's when we ended up um, biting the bullet and getting a place and moving over. Nash Vegas. That's right. <laughs> and then there was a moment, uh, there was a day that you wrote about early in the book where your wife Karen was in the hospital uh, getting a tumor removed. And that yeah. seemed like there the, there was this huge pivot point for you. Yeah, you know, so, um, gosh, I mean, who... Who wants to go through stuff like that? You know, we didn't know if, um, uh, you know, as it turned out, it was a, it was benign, um, and so that was a really good thing, you know. And we, and but I, you're sitting there in the hospital, and and the nurses and doctors are bringing new blood in and all that kind of stuff because she was bleeding quite a lot, and you know, it's just that sort of shocking, surreal moment. And, um, um, it was in the, right in the middle of, of, um, well, it's probably towards the end of it actually, but like that transitional period of like, what on earth am I going to do? What, you know, we'd kind of made the decision to move here and we didn't have health insurance and, you know, all that good stuff. And, um, and, you know, is it that moment where, um, honestly we felt quite crushed, yeah. um, and like we didn't know what to do um and in that i kind of just had this kind of thought that well it feels like god is close to us right now mm. and um and and that really is what um you know opened the door to the idea of putting flesh on the bones of this project that i'd been thinking about for 15 years or more you know um so it, it, it was that but you know um 
the um, yeah, that was it was difficult. It was a difficult time. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, uh, unbelievably difficult. I mean, I think, you know, you talk about um, surprises that you didn't see coming and all of a sudden yep. your life was, you thought it was going this way, you just moved, bought a house, and then all of a sudden it could have a totally different ending. Yeah. And I think, um, so uh, this project that uh, you alluded to, it's really at least three things, but, but one of the things is mm. a book called Words from the Hill, an invitation to yep. the unexpected and it's also yep. a cd beautiful amazing yep. album and then it's a film too and it's all around the beatitudes and i think it's interesting because as yes. you already alluded to you know the beatitudes like everyone sort of has an idea of what they m might be i mean they're this you, you know weird sermon that jesus preached and it's you know you probably couldn't name more than two or three of them but but most people yeah. have at least heard of them but I think you would argue that we don't really understand them, at least in the way that Jesus meant them. So how would you describe what Jesus was trying to do with the Beatitudes? Yeah. Um, so you and I, we both have a rabbi in our lives, right? So yeah. um, uh, yeah, folks like that really help us understand like some of the more ancient kind of thought. And one of the things that... that my rabbi, Rabbi Joseph, says is that the Sermon on the Mount is sacred text uh, with permanent surplus meaning. And so, you know, what I've, what I'm offering is kind of, it's not academic, it's not theological, it's kind of like, um, it's my experience and my journey with it. And yeah. so it's it's just what I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that it's kind of one way of looking at this stuff. And, uh, but, you know, I used to think that the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes were a list of things. It was almost like a new law, a new new set yeah. of rules yeah. to live by to achieve a blessing, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I couldn't explain it uh, because to be poor in spirit or mourning, you know, that didn't make sense to me to want to try and attain that. And so, uh, but, you know, nevertheless, I thought it was about achieving, attaining, striving, you know, trying to live a better life, right? Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> And so it was in that moment in the hospital that um, I suddenly realized that God was present, right? Mm, yeah. And I hadn't done anything to deserve that, right? Yeah. And so I, I started to understand that maybe poverty of spirit is um, a different thing. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I began to see these more as announcements of blessing um, and you know, when things aren't working out, right? So um, when your spirit is crushed, when you have a poverty of joy, you know, when 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 you're when you have to grieve the things that you've lost, when your presence is ignored, you know, the meek, the bullied, the marginalised, when you're hungry and thirsty for justice and righteousness and some kind of wholeness, um, I think that the blessing is presence. You know, I think that um, we want certainty and answers but what is offered to us is presence you know in the in the midst of our unfixedness you know in the midst of our lack and ache and longing i think that um what jesus is saying is that god is with you god is on your side um and in that sense these things become a gift to us um even though we wouldn't want to um experience those and um, I think that, you know, then if 
what is offered to us is presence. I think the invitation is then to be present Ooh, and uh, yeah. um, to be present to ourselves, to our own lack and ache and longing and um, and to others too, you know, and then it, it goes on to say uh, you're blessed when you when you show mercy because you'll receive mercy. So it's like um, uh, the invitation to show mercy, to become peacemakers, to live with an undivided heart. And um, so I think it's those those two things. It's essentially the promise of presence when things aren't working out. And uh, and 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 I I really honestly believe that that's for every human being. It's not for the 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 specially spiritual or the super holy or the select few. I think it's for every human being on the planet. I agree. I agree. And I think that's why it's good news. You know, I mean, that's why. Right. The Sermon on the Mount has had such um, such a long run, so to speak, yes. is that it, it's it's actually good news, and and it's it's That's really right. good news for everybody. It's not just good news for a few. And I love I what I, I I love how you spin that. That we have such a tendency to see it as a list of things to live up to, you know, even though they make no sense. Morning, right. porn, spirit, but I think that's part of what it sort of reveals how we read the Bible. Like, even though it doesn't make any sense, we just go, eh, okay, well, I guess, I guess I just, just try it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. What's wrong with us? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, that's right. I, I think that, you know, again, just having a friend who is, is steeped in biblical history, you know, he, he says, well, actually, you know, Jesus is kind of reframing Leviticus 19, you know, the holiness codes. But what he's saying is, be holy for I am holy. You know, that's that's kind of like what God is saying. And um, uh, but Jesus is actually showing us what is holy. Yeah. You know, the fact that God I, I think it answers two questions for us. Uh, one is where is God? You know, and I, I think that's a big question for a lot of people, you know, and that the the answer in the Beatitudes is that he's on the side of the poor. He's with those who mourn. He's with those who are bullied, marginalized, oppressed. He's with those that that ache for justice and can't do anything about it. You know, like that's where God is. And um, that's, um, you know, I mean, I mean I'm pausing now because that's, that's, um, that's quite a big thing, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> um, exactly. And then I, I think that, you know, a lot of people trip over the, the, the certainty in statements like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. But I think the Beatitudes show us the way. Yes. You know, I think the way is to show mercy, to become peacemakers, to um, to live with a uh, like to have our eyes remade for wonder and and awe, and and therefore kind of start to put our hearts together. And um, you know, if we live like that, then we probably will get a pushback. You know, yeah. and so the persecution thing. But um, you know, that is the way. I think that that it's pretty clear to me what that is yeah and don't you think um i mean i'm flirting with dangerous talk here but don't you think that way is bigger than christianity i mean christianity is part of it right but that way yeah. transcends christianity doesn't it yes yeah. it does i mean you know um i spend time in the book with um religious muslims um in the south here asking them what life is like um, in the South here post 9-11 in, in the age of ISIS, you know, and um, 
um, honestly, some of these people are are showing us the way more than some of our uh, Christian brothers and sisters. But you know, it like for me, I, I'm in the book. I'm trying to be true to the Christian text, you know, right. and um, um, and kind of keeping on track with that. But I think even then, it's like you know, you said about um, at the beginning about we think we know what these things are about. And so what I'm suggesting is that let's put down what we think we know of the text and let's um, open our eyes. So like, what is the, how, how did the people listen on the hillside that day in the first century so that we still have this 2000 years later? I mean, that is unbelievable when there was no way of writing it down or recording it or, um, or, you know, no band, no PA. It's like, um, you know, I mean, I, I think about Blessed Are the Cheesemakers and Monty Python, but, <laughs> but you know, but, but, um, but what does it mean to listen and to kind of live it out? And then we still have this stuff 2,000 years later. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. So, what does that mean now to listen like that, you know? Yeah. And, um, um, and I, and I think it is listening to those around us who we haven't seen very often, mm-hmm. you know, maybe whose presence we ignore and opening our lives up to the other, the people that we see as the other and living in this same space because that's actually what we have to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether we like it or not. Exactly. And you write about that so well in the book. And you took yeah. a, you also wrote about a trip to India that you took. Uh, yeah. which seemed to have a huge impact on you as it relates to how to see and how to listen. Talk about that. Yeah. yeah so um, India, uh, when I first went to India, I was with Delirious and um, we were doing a um, a concert there and um, I arrived there and I wasn't ready for the onslaught on my senses and I really hated it. You know, like just the, when you go to a country, um, where there is like 1.2 billion people or something, you know, and I hadn't really thought about that until I walked out of the airport, you know, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. surrounded by people trying to grab your bag and help you and beg, you know, beggars and um, all that stuff. And the, the, the traffic, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. I was going to die, yeah. you know, and it, and it, it just, um, it was an onslaught of smell and, all that stuff, you know, is kind of crazy, and and the the vast uh, differences between the rich and the poor there, you know, it was just an onslaught, and um, and I, I hated it. But um, that was only for that first evening. I woke up the next day and called my wife, and you know, she uh, she said, "Just go and be yourself, you know, be nice to people, and and come home, you know." And and so. Uh, but we, we went exploring, uh, hired some tuk-tuks and went exploring and just saw the most beautiful people. And um, and I completely fell in love with India. Um, you know, we, we experienced um, sl- uh, sex workers in, in the slum in Mumbai. And, um, you know, these women have their children and... Um, you know, the children are often in the room while their mum's working, you know, just yeah. like hidden away in a cupboard or under the bed or something, you know. And so, um, I mean, devastating stories and um, and in extreme poverty. And, you know, I 
was thinking about we we were just about to move to a new house you know with bigger we closer to the beach place for a studio in the garden you know yeah. and uh um and and yet i wasn't as happy as these kids who were absolutely destitute and you could see something in their eyes that was just so pure and joyful and you know i think i, I wrote in the book about seeing god in the eyes of the poorest of the poor or something and you know, I actually left there wondering if it was me that was poor. Yeah. And of course, um, Matthew's language in particular really affirms that, you know, when he says poor in spirit. Yeah. It's probably likely that Jesus did just say poor. Um, but Matthew talking to his sort of more middle class Jewish audience wanted to include everyone. I think it was amazing. I think that yeah. is uh, um, uh I think it's right, you know, to be uh, the, the, the sort of inclusive thing. It opens the arms wider and it it looks at us when we are, when our spirit is crushed. You know, sometimes when our religion has let us down, you know, it's like um, when we just feel like there's nothing left. Um, Eugene Peterson says, when you're at the end of your rope, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. And, um, and I like that imagery because, you know, a year later, that's where I was. Yeah. Yeah, and you had no idea that was coming, no but idea. Um, something about India sort of started to help you live into that message even before you had to. It's interesting. Yes. Um, so here's a bit of a maybe a, a large question, but when you think about the message of the Beatitudes, uh, why does the world need this message now? Yeah, uh, so I think that the world is so divided, so polarized. Um, everyone wants to be right, yeah. you know, and think that and think they are. Me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, I think that the beatitudes offer us a different way. That um, even just in that, you know, like in peacemakers, it's not about um, taking sides and and being on the right or the left. You know, it's kind of saying, how do we? start to write a new story um, where I want for you what I want for myself, you know? And yeah. um, I, so I think that's the really the message today is like uh, opening our eyes to see, uh, to see where God is, where, where God is along, uh, alongside those whose spirits are crushed, etc. cetera. Um, and to, forge a way that is like open to the lives of others and the and the ways of others yeah oh that's so good so good <laughs> um i'm gonna go back to rabbi joseph uh yes. because he's had such a profound impact on you i think very yeah. similar to you know we've we've talked about rabbi allen and yeah uh, how he's had that impact on me but how did you meet rabbi joseph and when did you know that this was going to be a like a teacher in your life um, I actually met Rabbi Joseph in India um, oh. uh, because I left India that first time, came home and told Karen, um, Karen's my wife, uh, said, we have to go. You're going to love India. Yeah. And so um, the band was Delirious toured Asia um, in the in 2007. And I took my family to India the week before we went on to Cambodia and stuff. Yeah, it was one of those trips that we that, I, that we took our families on, and um, so I I took the my family to India, 
and uh, we were sitting in the hotel having lunch, and um, Rabbi Joseph came in too because he had um, him and his wife had raised a hundred thousand dollars to help build an orphanage for AIDS orphans in um, two hours outside of Hyderabad, a place called Chandrakal. And so, um, funnily enough, um, Rob Bell had recommended a book called um, uh, Jewish Spirituality, A Brief Introduction for Christians, and it's by a guy called Lawrence Kushner. Yeah. And um, uh, so I had just read that, and uh, when this guy who looked a bit like Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead, when he sat down and... (laughs) He had this big, loud sort of voice, and he, he, he went, hey, what, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I play music. What do you do? And he's like, oh, I'm a rabbi. You know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I love your American I, accent, by the way. It's, know, it's I, so good. I, I said, oh, I've just read this book, you know, and told him who it was. And he went, oh, Larry, he's one of my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah. And so we talked for like three hours that day. Um, over the lunch table and yeah quite literally um, um, I knew straight away well I, I didn't know that he would want to stay in touch or anything but um, you know I knew that if there was a chance of staying in touch with this guy and, and um, him being a mentor so like we we lived in England at the time and um, he he was a synagogue rabbi for 30 years wow. um, at Temple Israel uh, uh, actually no he, he yeah, he was a synagogue rabbi for 30 years, part of that time being at Temple Israel in Minneapolis. Yeah. And um, and um, he had retired from that because of health and started a second academic career at St. Cloud State. Um, and so um, every year he would come to London, to Oxford actually, and uh, present a white paper um, to, the, uh, to, the, to the university. And... Um, and so he would come and stay with us and, you know, we'd have Shabbat and, wow. you know, it was wow. just, just fantastic. But, you know, a lot of history with him now and as well as, you know, going to uh, the orphanage and, um, and, and being with those children whose parents died of AIDS and all the children were HIV positive too. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I think there's something about, I, I don't know how to understand Jesus without understanding the Jewish mindset. And I don't claim to understand it uh, yet, but at least I have more of a, more of an understanding now after being with Rabbi Allen for all those years and you with Rabbi Joseph. I I, I think that is part of um, what, what makes the, makes his words even more beautiful. You see all the ties back to the Torah and you see how he really is, is redefining things. I mean, it's, it's so, um, it's so within the tradition, but also yes. it transcends the tradition, right? Yes. Yeah, it seems like nothing is an accident, right? So, yeah. um, you know, the even just the fact that um, it's the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it happened on a mountain or a hillside. Um, I mean, you look back at through the Hebrew scriptures, uh, the stuff that happened on mountains and yeah. hillsides, you know, it's kind yeah. of like, it's really important, like Matthew in particular, makes that a big makes a big point of that yes it's true mm-hmm. um yeah well yeah i mean so many things god speaks yeah. on the mountain you know and, and even our yeah. cliche of the mountaintop 
it's partially cliche yeah. because that's that's part of tradition, right? Oh, yeah. it's so good. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, I want to read some of the quotes that I love from your book. Okay. Um, and then maybe you can riff on it. Uh, yeah. And here's one. God is on the side of everybody for whom there's no reason why God should be on their side. I love right. that quote. So riff on that a bit. Um, it Honestly, it's just the... Uh, the shocking good news, you know, that is the gospel. It's, um, uh, and, and, and I, I see the Beatitudes as announcements of that. You know, it's a, it's a phrase that I got from my friend um, Brad Nelson, who used to be at Mars Hill in Grand Rapids, yeah. and um, he's a teacher and an MDiv and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, he, he, he turned me on to a theologian called Frederick Dale Bruner, yeah, and I love um, the uh, his his book called the Christ Book, which is the first half of Matthew, is like a commentary on that, and uh, and that's the language from from that book. Um, yeah, you know, I've always been the sort of guy that sees people and like I I'm I'm a real fan of hum the human race. You know, I think that, and th this is kind of dodgy ground for some people, but. I think that at the core, that there is goodness and kindness and and love, and I I feel like, um, you know, I never really got the depravity of man thing, um, and so I believe that there is good in everyone, yeah. and um, and that, you know, I that's it really. I know. <laughs> I, I just think it's the good news announcement that that. Um, uh, even when we don't deserve it, God's on our side. Like, and it's not about work. That's the thing. I, you know, we we live in such a culture that is about gaining and succeeding and striving and achieving and doing the right thing. What what kind of happened to curiousness? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, like being curious about things and and um, allowing. Like being kind to ourselves, you know. Yes. No, I, I just, I, I mean, yeah. it's a statement that I believe a hundred percent. Yes. Where did that go? That's yeah. another quote um, that I wrote down that I loved. Is basically what you just said. But the Beatitudes are not about achieving anything, but it's about what's missing. Right. Um, so talk more about that. Yeah. So it's um, it really comes down to the language, you know, poverty. So the poverty of and I, and I feel like the first four um, beatitudes, especially, are about poverty. So um, the, the the first poor in spirit, like it is literal poverty that will crush your spirit. Yeah. Um, so so it's about um, the, the the lack and and poverty of actual material things. It's the 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 poverty of, um, you know, when, when your spirit is crushed, you know, like, so poverty will crush your spirit, but so will a depression or, yeah. um, you get found out for something and you just have no idea what to do and it just spirals down. And, um, that's why I like Eugene Peterson's language of at the end of your rope, you know, yeah. I think it includes all of us who have failed and can't fix it. And, um, so it's a 
it's it's when being able to fix is missing yes <laughs> you know um and so and then obviously the mourn with joy you know it's a poverty of joy that is missing joy is missing and it's um it's the grief that comes at it's the grief of changes that we don't want to happen. So it is so much about when someone dies. Yeah. Um, and what, you know, I mean, my heart aches for, for that, but it's also when careers end. It's yeah. also when there's a divorce or there's a, um, I mean, talk about things that crush your spirit, you know, yeah. uh, relationships going wrong. Um, it's when the changes that you don't really want to happen. So it's when your children grow up and they, they get married, you know, it's yeah. like that, that's a, that's a change. And, and if we don't acknowledge that, you know, then our comfort won't come. Yeah. And, um, so then there's the, uh, the, the, the poverty of power. Mm. Um, you know, those without the power of choice, when that's been taken away from you, um, I think that is who the meek are. Um, I don't think it's a virtue. You know, we talk about gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yeah. Um, but, um, I wanted to write about the meek as those whose presence we ignore yes, and whose presence we don't want. So it's about the refugee. It's about the displaced. It's about the undocumented immigrant. It's about the the people that think differently to us, the Muslims, our friends in the LGBT community. Um, And none of this stuff that I write about is supposed to be a hot topic or something that gets people hot under the collar. It's just like, if we open our eyes, these are our neighbors. Yes. You know, these are the people in our communities. And how do we inhabit the same space? Yes. You know, so um, we've talked about what it's like to have a product out, you know, a new book or a new record or whatever it is, and feel like we're being passed by, you know, mm-hmm. like that in it. I don't know. It, I don't know what you're talking about, Steve. <laughs> I know a lot of people know, do, but I'm not but sure. The thing is, it's like you're blessed when yeah. you're being passed by. Yeah. You know, in that empty space when it just feels impossible and God is on your side. And uh, um, in the ache, the lack and longing of the, the hunger and thirst. I love the fact that Jesus uses hunger and thirst because it's so visceral. You know, it's yeah. such a bodily, uh, you know, you feel it, you know, and uh, you feel it in your in your bones. And um, it's those moments that we ache for wholeness and justice and, and righteousness. Um, uh, you, I probably don't, I obviously don't need to tell you about the Greek word dikaiosune, which means righteousness and justice. It's yeah. like, and if you start to read every time you see righteousness in the New Testament with and add the word justice, you get some sort of like more of a visceral kind of meaning to it, you know. And uh, and so righteousness and justice, when that is missing, uh, so what are the things you ache for? Yeah. You know, what are the things you. And so I talk in the book about the global ache could be nuclear weapons. It could be displacement of people like the 65 million people that no longer can go back home because of war. You know, it's like an ache. And it's just like, oh, I just wish that was different. Then the, the, there's aches in our community. The, the kids that just live two miles from where I live, that the school system feeds 
you know, uh, they give them food on a Friday and they come back to school on a Monday. And if they didn't give them food, they'd be hungry. Yeah. So, um, hmm. uh, and it's like, what the heck? You know, I thought this was America in the 21st century, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then the, and then there's those of us who, you know, are addicted and it's the thing under our skin that has the power over us. And, um, and we make those decisions to, to, you know, and wake up the next day and it's like, oh, just, I really wish this was different. And it's yeah. in that moment when there's, when it's not fixed, when there's ache and lack and longing for that just to be better, that's the, when the announcement comes in, I'm on your side. Yes. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, it's, it's the things that are missing. Oh, so good. You're preaching, man. You're preaching. <laughs> You're preaching. Not bad for a guitar player, right? Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get rid of the ums and ahs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, man. Um, or let's talk about the music side for a little bit. Uh, yeah. we're winding down in terms of time, but I really, the, the record is so beautiful and, you know, it's a testament to your friendships with so many of these, I think, great singer songwriters, but, um, but talk a little bit about how, how that project was and writing those songs yeah. and with who you wrote and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally made it difficult myself for, for myself because I wanted it to be in community in collaboration, you know, like, um, uh, I feel like that is one of the messages in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount is that we need each other. Yeah. Um, and so um, I think it's an upside down message as well. You know, it's kind of like um, it should be about me making it easy for myself and building my empire. And yet um, I really was compelled to give the microphone over to all these other people. Um And it's the same with the book, too. You know, it's, like, it's partly my story, but it's mostly the stories of those I've met along the way. And so, um, and I think it's such a huge part of like what I'm trying to do with this is the collaboration and community. And so, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I feel totally respected and honored by the, the people that said yes. I mean, you know, Anthony Skinner, um, uh, Mark W. Smith, all sons and daughters, Amy Grant, you know, for goodness sake. Um, and, uh, and just, Awesome people like John Marvin Miller, Matt Marr, Audrey Assad, Terry and Bass, who was 19 when we wrote the song "Let My Dreams Fly." And that's a, um, that is a that is one of my favorite songs on the record. P.S. Right, that's right. really good. So, yeah, I mean, so she grew up in. I, I I didn't want to have just white Western voices on it, whether they're no. British or or American or whatever, and you know, just to sort of help with the diversity and the community aspect of it. And so, um, I had this idea for a, this song. And I'd like the first verse kind of written, but I knew it wasn't my song. You know, we ain't so different. You and I, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm just like part of the dominant culture, you know, and, and privileged. And, uh, so, um, um, and I kind of imagined it being a dusky, um, kind of Ella Fitzgerald's Billie Holiday type vocal. And so I was assuming that it would have to be an older person. And, um, uh so i met terry and all of a sudden in conversation i just realized that like her whole life had been submerged in this culture of like 
drug violence, gang violence, you know, domestic abuse and all the things that happen in uh, where there's poverty, really. Yeah. And um, uh, and so completely validates her her voice because she has lived that, you know. And she said to me something really stunning. She said, you know, why my friends have like such a lack of hope is because they believe what they see. Hmm. And I thought that's it's like you you might be a writer. (laughs) You you might be a writer. That's right. Yeah, so uh tremendous like I got back together with Martin Smith for one song, which was which was fantastic. You know, because we didn't like uh we didn't leave we didn't finish Delirious on bad terms, you know. Yeah. It was just hard. It was like, you know, we were we'd spent so much time together over 16 17 years um you know oftentimes more than we're with our families you know and so um and and then writing all those songs you know that was predominantly martin and myself and that's a really intimate relationship you know and uh and so anyway so um so yeah he reached out to me and said can you play at this conference i'm doing in pennsylvania and uh, i said yeah i'd love to do that and we got a day to write there and um, out came the Holy Troublemakers song, and then we recorded it in London at the studio where Radiohead recorded the Benz. It was a complete Gosh. moment of uh, celebration and extravagance for me, on my part. But yeah. um, I thought we need to make this special, and so it's so nice to make new memories with him. You know, it was yeah. it was great. Yeah, and uh, and Hillsong United. You know, what I I wanted an anthem to finish the record. Um, and I said to Joel when we were writing it, um, um, I'd love the church to be able to sing this song, but I really want my neighbours to be able to sing it. And yeah. so, you know, to come up with a phrase like, um, hold on, it's going to be all right, you know. Yeah. So, And some people have said to me, you know, Stu, it's not going to be all right for a lot of people. Uh, it's not all right for, hmm. you know, our friends in Aleppo or in Raqqa right now or, yeah. or whatever, you know, but... The thing is that it's not. We don't know that it's going to be right for any of us tomorrow. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and so this, this announcement of God being on our side right now, like, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, and and that comes through so so clear in the record uh, and the book. Um, the record and the book. And I, and I noticed, I mean, it's interesting you say you didn't want this, the, the record to be just a bunch of white voices, white Western voices. And it really isn't. I mean, there's, there's some really uh, cool, uh, there's even one song that's a rap. I mean, it's in it's, in it's killer. Propaganda. Yeah. Yeah, Propaganda kills it. I mean, just like, yeah. yeah. So even, even when I say like, Oh, that's one of my favorite songs on the record. They're all kind of one of my favorite songs. I love the John Mark McMillan song. I love the propaganda tune. I love, you know, um, and Oh, blessed is, is, um, you know, the anchor point. That's the base note of the whole, of the whole record for me. Yeah. Um, It's a very liturgical, meditative, yes, repetitive thing. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I want to ask you about a million more questions, but, but we've been going for almost an hour now. And so, uh, it it just goes by so quick, man, when I'm talking to you, I love it. I love it. (laughs) Well, we can do it again. I'm, I'm very happy to do that. Okay. Well, let's, let's definitely do that. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to include all the links to all, you know, the book and, and the record on my show notes, 
but where else can we find your stuff? Uh, so, uh, the beatitudesproject.com, um, has links to everything. That's kind of a central point that we'll be updating as we go along. Um, you know, the, the music's available on iTunes and Apple music is, you can get it on a CD in, uh, Amazon, um, uh, Spotify, you know, yeah. and then the, the book at all good book places, you know, so whether that's Amazon or Barnes and Noble, etc., books a million. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that, that, that would really help actually. And I know you know this as a, as an author, but if folks leave a review on something, yes. uh, that really does make a difference um, in terms of how it's um, viewed by the, uh, these these places that sell it so the sellers yeah uh, yeah it makes a big difference so i would appreciate that and and on itunes too you know i'd love as many reviews as possible but and um i just really like my prayer is that people like take it and hear this message that like god is on their side you know like it's not about uh not necessarily about you know doing all this stuff it's like it's really that this message that we can lift our head and carry on in whatever moment we are in life so like, i i hope that you know and we you, you can follow me on social media at studio instagram and twitter stoogie on facebook um loads of good stuff happening there and um and i'm very engaged so if people want to like dm me or whatever i'm totally up for up for that so yeah i've noticed that on, on online you are very active it's fun um and quite unusual you know like most people um well, not not most people, but I mean, like people in yeah. your situation, typically, you know, it's like you, even you put a mention out there, and you just never hear back, which is okay. But it's right. but it's but it's fun <laughs> that you, it's fun that you engage, and I'm glad you said the thing about the reviews too. I mean, I think before I became an author, I didn't pay any attention to a review. I never left a review, but people yeah. don't don't realize like the more reviews that are out there, even even bad ones, um, but but um, which we don't want bad ones. <laughs> That's we right. Don't, we don't want bad ones, but but the more reviews that that go on there, the more like Amazon promotes it w within its own site, and so um, right. one of the greatest things I'll I'll just echo you and talk to all the listeners here. One of the greatest things you can do for any artist or author that you like is leave a review on Amazon, on Goodreads, on iTunes, on you know what wherever it is that you. Uh, I just would strongly encourage you that it's a huge gift. It's a huge gift for those of us that are working our butts off, trying, yeah. <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to cry our way through our quarterly statements that we get uh, regarding That's books right. sold or books not sold. So, um, yeah. well, thanks. Uh, can I say one more thing? Yes, yes, so of course. We, um, we are currently finishing the film portion. So it's a book and it's music. Yes. And it's a film too. And it's um, – we're – we're putting together a documentary style film that's just really compelling that, that covers both the musical aspect and a lot of the stories that you read in the book, plus one or two that you don't. For instance, like I actually met a refugee family, Syrian refugee mm. family. And, um, two days before we recorded the Audrey Assad song and, um, invited the, the son to come in and play tabla and oud on the record so it's a, and that's all caught on film so wow. it's really compelling you know and um and i hope that it you know the visual thing just helps to you know get the message home i think yeah and that can be found the information on that can be found on the beatitudesproject.com 
maybe trailers yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Are there any trailers that's we can look at? There are, there is a trailer up there at the minute. Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. So I'm going to, again, you guys, I'm going to include all, all of this stuff on the show notes. So just go to steveweens.com slash show notes, uh, or go to the beatitudesproject.com. Uh, maybe even better go to the beatitudesproject.com. Um, follow Stu and, uh, this guy really, Stu, you are just one of the most creative, but also most, um, uh, fun, humble, um, down to earth, uh, Keep funny, going. Going. Uh, no, really. I mean, you, you are, um, <laughs> I, I, you. I, you know, when you came to my house that time, I just thought this is Stu G and you just were so chill and so like excited <sighs> to be there. And I'm like, what in the world is happening right now? You know um, what? Right. So, um, back in the day, um, used to think I was someone, you know, <laughs> and, um, um, and then the moment that I thought it was all gone, um, I decided the first time I got on a plane again to go and play guitar somewhere, yeah. like that was like it was the first time again for me. And so mm. like what's happening in the second half of my life is that I am so grateful for every moment I get. And I think yeah. that's, that's, that's my posture, you know, like right now it's like, um, so when I sat around your fire pit, I was so happy to be there. Mm. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks so much, man, for spending time with me and for being on the podcast and for talking about these things that you're passionate about. I am too, you know, we share these passions. And so it's, it's just so energizing for me to be able yeah. to talk to you, but also uh, know that these words are going to go out there in into the world. And, um, you know, I know that there just are going to be people listening to this and their hearts are going to be pounding. Like, could it really mean that? Like, really? Could, could, could it really be that good? Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you for um, doing your work and for being creative and for paying the price. Um, mm. And so, um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, my friend, um, I, um, yeah, I just enjoy, I enjoy you. And I can't wait for the next time. All right. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. Okay, my friend. Peace out. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow me on Facebook at Steve Weens Author, Twitter at Steve Weens, and Instagram at Steve Weens. And you can find all my work, all my books, the show notes, all kinds of other fun stuff on my website, steveweens.com. And please consider supporting me on Patreon. Lots of fun benefits for all levels of patrons. Check it out at patreon.com slash thisgoodword. Suburban.